0: Well, good morning, good to see everyone, Uh, hopefully you're as excited about being here as I am. It's always a joy to see your smiling faces and get to teach God's Word. Uh, Good Sunday to be here, we're starting a new series, seven weeks, ending on Easter, seven weeks till Easter, folks. Uh, It'll be nice and warm by then, Uh, actually pretty nice now. Uh, So we title this Decoding Faith, we're going to try and explain or understand what real or true faith is. And, uh, first week as Mama Says, so all your mamas, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. So, <clears throat> this is a study of the Gospel of John. We have four stories or counts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, beginning of the New Testament. The first three have a lot of similar stories, um, repeated, uh, but John's different. John is 90% different than Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So, I'll... Most of what we're going to talk about, are, we can't find in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's just recorded in John. So we're going to journey with John as he journeyed with Jesus 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> and we're going to try and understand what the term faith actually means. So for some reason, we, we, we have this kind of nebulous idea of faith when it comes to, to, to church or God or religion when we understand it completely in the, in the physical world. You and I believe things for two reasons. One is we believe based on evidence. I've got proof. I've got evidence. I've experienced this. Um, I can trust my wife because I've lived with her for 40-plus years, and so I'm, she's trustworthy. So I've experienced that. I have evidence that she's trustworthy. Uh, other things like the world is... is uh, round, or the globe is round, um, lots of things, gravity, I throw things up, it always comes down. <laughs> so, we, ha- we believe things based on evidence and experience, but we also believe things based on the confidence in the person delivering the information. So, I thought about it this way, <clears throat> up until the last 150 years, all of history, we are believing on the, the person that wrote these things down like the Gettysburg Address and George Washington and the Constitution, and you can go back to Columbus, or you can go back to to any part of history you want. Everything we believe, Julius Caesar. Why do we believe that? Well, somebody wrote it down, and we have confidence in the person who wrote it down, so we believe it. So we believe because we've seen it, or we believe it because we have confidence in the person that told us. Uh, in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter one, 11, one, it says, the, uh, we believe by evidence not seen. So, it kind of fits this second category. None of us lived 2,000 years ago, but we have confidence in the person that delivered the information. In this case, of course, it's going to be John. Now, even in our, our society today, eyewitnesses are evidence. So, if you have a court case and a couple of people come and say, we saw it, we saw it, this part, this Two or three people saw the same thing. That's considered evidence, even though the jurors and the judge didn't see it. So that's proof. That's evidence. That's what people believe. Now, the problem is we get conflicting stories, <laughs> two, two witnesses saying two different things. But personally, we have conflicts, and they have a term for it. It's called confirmation bias, confirmation bias. Let me give you an example. If I was to ask you, is coffee good for you? And we serve coffee. Some of you are going to say yes. And some of you are going to say no. You shouldn't be drinking coffee. It's got caffeine in it. Whatever, whatever reason. Now the problem with the internet nowadays is what? <laughs> you can find anything you want to find. Uh, in fact, I just read an article saying red meat is good for you. And I'm thinking, uh, have they ever talked to a doctor? <laughs> but anyway. Confirmation bias. And we see it all over the place. We all, we all have this. If you're uh, wanting to visit a church, depending on your religious bent, if it says Catholic on the outside, you may not go in it. You have a bias against that type of religion. Or on the other hand, it might be a Pentecostal church. And because of your, your bias, you're not going to go in there. Now, the easiest one for you to understand is this. My grandkids are smarter and better looking than your grandkids. Now, some of you would argue with me, right? <laughs> I have a bias. You have bias. All right, so we experience it all Areas of life. So, back to religion. Religious faith is often, for some crazy reason, divorced from reason and logic and evidence and confused with hope or wishful thinking. For example, uh, I hope he shows up on time. I hope she shows up on time. Well, Did they last time? No. Did they time before that? No. (laughs) Uh, You have any reason to believe they're going to show up on time this time? No. I'm just hoping they'll show up on time. And it's kind of this idea, you just got to believe, you just got to have faith. Faith in faith, there's no reason to believe this, there's no evidence. So John would say, if we say to John, well, I'm just believing in belief, he'd say, where'd you get that? Even if you ask Jesus, well, I'm just believing, he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> belief or faith is the same in the religious realm as it is in any other realm of life. And then we have this crazy expression, well, you just got to have more faith. Well, would we say you just got to have more belief? No, you either believe something or don't. You either believe coffee's good for you or you don't. Now, one of the reasons I want to talk about this for the next seven weeks is this. We have a growing group of people in our society called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They have no religious affiliation. Part of the problem is many of these folks had faith or belief or what they thought was belief Earlier in life, and now they don't think it's significant or important. And probably, or the most, the biggest reason these people have lost their faith, we use that term, is because it wasn't true faith in the first place. It was this hopeful faith, this wishful thinking faith. It wasn't based on evidence. And that's not New Testament faith. And John is going to try and help us understand what true faith is. One way to describe it is this way. There's an enormous difference between by faith and because of faith. I believe this because I've got evidence as opposed to I just believe it. That's the good news. John's going to say, no, 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 there's evidence. There's strong evidence to believe this. And in a group this size, we always welcome and believe there's some of you that still haven't crossed that line. You're still not convinced. And hopefully you will be convinced as we go along. And John's going to say, I'm not just going to write this so you can understand what happened, so you know the stories. Like I said, 90% are different than the other three writers. He said, I've got a purpose. You ever have to write a purpose statement in school? Well, we get a purpose statement from John. It's actually at the end. We're going to kind of do this chronologically. We're going to start at the end to find out what was John's purpose in writing what we call the Gospel of John. Um. Chapter 20, verse 30. Uh, actually, there's 21 chapters, so it's near the end. The disciples, which John was one, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs. So, he's going to describe some, but there was lots of others. In addition to the ones recorded in this book. Then he goes on give us his purpose. So, I've written these. The ones I've included have a purpose. This is the purpose. But these that I've included are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Are uh, you trying to figure that out? Start to believe or continue to believe that Jesus was really who He said He was. He truly was the Son of God. And that by believing in Him, you will have life and the power of His name. That you will be transformed. We say be born again. You become a Jesus follower. So as we look at these events over the seven weeks, they're going to have a progression. he's going to describe the event. The event is going to be a sign. We're going to call it miracle, and we'll talk about the difference in a minute. Events are going to lead to a sign. These signs are evidence of something. And the evidence is going to help us believe something. When we heard the evidence, you believe something. Believe it to the point that you're actually going to trust it. Now, there's seven of these signs. We've got seven weeks. So we'll cover one each week. Uh, we often call them miracles. They, they fit that category of miracles. But he says, no, 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 no. <laughs> he doesn't want us to focus on a miracle. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the problem with the disciples, just like you and I at times, is they oscillated in their faith. They believed a little bit at the beginning, and Jesus would do something. They'd believe a little bit more. But they weren't quite sure, and then Jesus would say something really strange and say, ah, we don't know if we want to follow this guy or not." And then eventually he dies on a cross, and how many believers were there after the crucifixion? How many people believed? Zero. Messiah doesn't die. He's going to deliver us from the Romans. So once Jesus was dead, there was no believers. So the problem is this. The supernatural events capture our attention, don't they? But they weren't random acts of kindness. Jesus said, oh, by the way, I want to heal this person. (laughs) No, 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 no. He had a purpose. And they pointed to something. What did they point to? Well, they pointed to Jesus' identity, that Jesus was the Messiah, that He was something different. He wasn't just like all the other prophets. This was the Son of God. Another way of saying is John didn't want us to become enamored with the miracles, but with the person, Jesus. I thought about this way, magicians. You see magicians, probably all see magicians, you know, cut a person in half. Lots of magicians can do that trick. But When I see that trick, I think, how did they do that? You know, the feet are moving over here and the head's over here, you know. So, I'm enamored with the miracle or the trick. But no, no, we, we don't get caught up in the, in the miracle or the quote, quote, unquote, trick. It's not a trick with Jesus. It was a miracle, uh, supernatural act. But it's about the person. Only a supernatural being can do a supernatural act, right? So, we're going to look at the first sign. And it's at the beginning of the book, second chapter of John. And it's one probably most of you know. In fact, we'll find out most of the first century people knew of this uh, sign, or miracle. John chapter 2. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan of Galilee. Now that's where Jesus grew up, the northern part, and we were there. It's about a couple hours north of Jerusalem. Uh, A lot nicer area, green, has some greenery. Down south it's like a desert. (laughs) So that's where Jesus is. Uh, His mother was there, and his disciples were there. Of course, Jesus was there, and they were invited to this celebration. Now, weddings back then were like town events, and they were week, a week long. So this was a big deal. And so everybody's celebrating for a whole week, so it consequently became expensive to feed folks for a whole week and to celebrate, right? And so it's interesting that John would pick an, a, a, a celebration event to be the first sign. And I think there's a, a message to us, and I think we, we, we do pretty good at this, that our mission isn't just to help the down and out. Our mission is to help celebrate with folks in our society. So we do uh, Angie, where are you at? We do uh, Smithsburg Days, celebration right, of Smithsburg. We do Trunk or Treat. I don't know what we celebrate, but we're doing Trunk or Treat. We do Christmas lighting. We are celebrating with the town of Smithsburg. So part of our mission is to celebrate with people. Not, Of course, we're supposed to help the downtrodden, and we, have, we help with feeding people, and, and, and there's other things. So that's where Jesus and disciples and Mary are. So this is, this is an event. There's facts. describes who's there and where it's at and so forth. It's not make-believe stuff. And then something happens. And most of you know what happens. Uh, next verse. <clears throat> the wine supply ran out. Big deal. During the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, Hey, Jesus. Uh, We're out of wine. Now, I can't imagine what it was like being Jesus' mom. But somewhere along the line, Joseph, the dad, had died. So, Jesus is the, there's other children, but Jesus is the oldest male. So, he would be the one that you would turn to as a mom when you need help. And so, I'm sure he'd done this many other times. And experts, uh, theologians tell us she wasn't asking for a miracle, most likely. She was just asking her son to help. And so, she said, and evidently, she was part of the hospitality committee. Evidently, this is part of her responsibility, and this would be embarrassing. (laughs) If you planned, you know, the food, and I'm trying to think of today's example, it'd be like you ran out of wedding cake, I guess. Uh, It wasn't something that uh, you, you figured correctly. So, it's embarrassing, she needs help, she asked her son, what can you do to help? So the story goes on. Dear woman, uh, mama, (laughs) my lady, whatever, that's not our problem. It's not me or the disciples' problem. He said, my time has not yet come. It's not come time for me to start my ministry. I didn't come to just save a wedding. I came to save the world, we might say. And sometimes I think we may fall into the trap that we think certain things are beneath us. And I remind myself the golden rule, do unto others as they have them do unto me. So, if I'm in a situation, it seems beneath me, I shouldn't waste my time doing that. If I think, well, if I was that person, would I, I want me to help them? And if I do, I try and do that. And so, Jesus didn't belittle the situation, even though he said, this is not really why I've come. Uh, So, his mom was depending on him, and if your mom was... Your parents are depending on you, you try and come through for them just like Jesus would. So, as mom says to the servants, again, she's evidently part of the hospitality group, do whatever he tells you. That's good advice for us today, isn't it? Do whatever Jesus tells you. Uh, we would say submit to his authority or what he would want for us. So, then the story takes kind of a strange twist, and, and we begin to ask ourselves, why in the world did John, out of seven signs, picks this as one of the seven signs. That's really important. There were lots of others. What's so important about this one? So standing nearby were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 or 30 gallons, so they're pretty big jars. Uh, Evidently, they were extra. I'm sure they had ones there that they were used or they were used and emptied out. We don't know. But again, why, why is... John, using this story, why is he including this detail? So Jesus tells the servants that are ready to do whatever he says, fill the jars with water. We need wine. We're going to fill the jars with water. Water, these jars are for ceremonial purposes. So why? What's going on here? Now, I struggle with this. I did a lot of research. And here's what people smarter than me come up with. And I think it makes a lot of sense. The stone jars are icons of the covenant and traditions that Jesus had come to replace. We'd say the Old Testament, all those rules and all those laws, the ceremonial cleaning, you know, if we touched this or did that, I gotta wash my hands, gotta wash my hands. So the Old Testament was a good start, but it was temporary. And it wasn't complete. So Jesus came to replace it or complete it. So it was temporary. Uh, F.F. Bruce, uh, a brilliant scholar, he writes it this way. The water provided for purification laid down by Jewish law and custom stands for the whole ancient order of Jewish ceremonies which Christ was to replace with something, and here's the key, something better, something new and improved, something better. So this was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do for all of us not just for some folks at a wedding. We're going to do away with the old. We have something new. So the story goes on. <clears throat> when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master's ceremony. So the ser- servants followed his instructions. They were told him to listen to it. Now, if you're reading the story for the first time, what are you thinking? They ran out of wine and we're going to give them water. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is not good. We're taking water to the master of the ceremonies. So, when the master of ceremonies, uh, next verse, tasted the water. Now, notice John doesn't describe the miracle. Evidently, it's a common knowledge in the first century church. John's probably writing this 30 years after, 40 years after Jesus. So, he doesn't even say, okay, Jesus changed the water into wine. He just said, now was wine. Not knowing it had come from not where it had come from, though of course, the servants knew, and he called the bridegroom over, "Hey um, and here 's his evaluation of the situation. Fascinating. He said, the host always serves the best wine first, everybody's paying attention, they want to celebrate, we give them the best wine first. Then when everybody has drunk a lot, drank a lot." <laughs> He brings out the less expensive wine. Now, I've never, I have to testify I've never been in that situation. Uh, some of you have more experience than I do. Uh, God has spared me from that. But I guess after you've drunk a while, but the, the quality is, is not less, it's less important? I don't know. But that's what seems to be the case. But he says, you, 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 this is unusual. This is amazing. This is different. You have kept the best until now. And it's foreshadowing the fact that God gave the... Old, Old Testament to these Jewish people and that was good for what it did but that wasn't the best. And Jesus comes along and says I'm going to bring you the best. Best way to reconnect with God. In fact it's going to be one, one time only. You don't have to have sacrifice after sacrifice and it's going to be completely take care of it for everyone. So I got thinking about life here on earth for us uh, as, as you get o- older, in some respects, life gets harder, but life gets better as you, your knowledge of God grows better. My relationship with my wife grows better. My life is better now than it was when I was younger. But it's going to be better yet when? When I leave this earth. Heaven is the best, and God's going to leave that for last. It terrible if we're in heaven first and had something else later. to so something much, much better. So then he, he makes an observation. This miraculous sign, again, it's not a, just a miracle. It's a sign. At Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. He kind of let the secret out, who he really was. And the disciples believed in him. Why did they believe in him? Because he said he was somebody special? No. They believed because there was a reason to believe. Supernatural people do supernatural things. Jesus is something supernatural. There's a reason to believe. So, for the disciples that kind of oscillated in their faith, and for you and I who might oscillate in our faith, we need to realize there's a reason to believe believe now they actually saw it with their eyes we can't say that today right we can't fit in that first category we have to fit in that category we believe in the testimony of the people that saw it now you might say well i've seen somebody's that their life was horrible and they became a jesus follower and now it's turned around so we had that kind of evidence but we didn't see jesus do what he did so how does faith come to us Well, we have a verse in in Romans that tells us faith comes by hearing or reading, and it's the good news about Christ, the gospel. So, John, over these seven signs, of course, the last one, Easter Sunday is going to be the biggie, he came convinced, 100% sure, that Jesus was the Messiah. So, he could say in chapter 3... I am convinced that God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Eternity with God in heaven. And he invites you and he invites me to believe on the evidence of his testimony. Believe what he said. Now in chapter one of John, we didn't start in chapter one, he doesn't give us the you know Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus story. He starts off talking. About the Word, or Jesus, He became human, flesh, and made His home, or dwelling among us. So, Jesus left the glories of heaven to come and hang out with us, with the limitations of a body. This is probably the most amazing thing, or one of the most amazing things about Jesus. Hopefully, God (laughs) limited His memory of heaven, or this would be hell on earth. So, He did that. Why did He do that? He did that for you and for for me. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Some translations say grace and truth. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, the sacrifice of Jesus. But truth is critical. We need to be a truth seekers, not only in, in spiritual realms, but in, in the areas we've been talking about the last six weeks, our financial life and our, our, and our health and our relationships and, and our professional life, etc. So I can imagine John saying, I, I can't explain this. Who can explain a miracle? I can't explain this, but I am convinced, I've seen it with my own eyes, <clears throat> that this Jesus is who He said He was. This Jesus is the Messiah. Well, He thought He was going to deliver us from the Romans, but He delivered us from something bigger and more important. He delivered us from the bondage of sin. So, let's go back to our thesis statement, or John's thesis statement, purpose statement, these things that I've written, all of it, but especially these seven signs, were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Don't waver in your faith, that He is truly the Son, unique Son of God, and that believing in Him, you will have life in the power of His name. Your life, that's my prayer for you and for me, is that we will have life, eternal life, spiritual life in the name of Jesus. I'm going to give you a think about, again, we're going to do this for seven weeks. I want you to think about faith. You are not called to follow Jesus because of faith. Just believe it, all right? It's way, way better than that. That's my prayer for you. So, let's pray. I, pray. I hope that you can join us in the coming weeks as we go through the seven signs, and hopefully if you're not convinced now, by Easter you'll be convinced. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you that our faith isn't just this nebulous, hope-for type thing. It's based on evidence, the uh, most powerful evidence the world has ever seen. And God, as we go through this series, and as we look at John's testimony of what he saw, help us to come to believe, be convinced that You are our Savior and Lord. And we pray for those that are skeptical here, or that are maybe here or maybe watching. We understand that. It's kind of hard to believe miracles, um, but we have a miracle God and a God that would love us enough to send His only Son to die for us. So, we thank You in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.